Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. The birth order thing first became an object of study in 1874. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Firstborns are voracious accumulators of knowledge and facts. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Then the middle child is kind of interesting because the middle child tends to be the peacemaker a podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Uh, youngest children tend to be more creative. I like this topic. Okay, welcome to the show. This is Amy. And this is Margaret. And this week we're talking about birth order. Is it is it a real thing? And should you uh, address it in your parenting? I like this topic. My mom... I won't say she's an expert in birth birth order, but she um, did family therapy for a long time, and she was very fascinated with the topic of birth order. Did she? Did I mean there are some people who say it's it's like a horoscope or something that it, like of course you're gonna see. No, yourself she was a believer. She was, she was a, pretty um, much a believer. I mean, it's like anything. You can find exceptions to every rule, and there's no nothing hard and fast, and birth orders and your destiny, all that stuff is true. But there are some things to birth order that are just interesting. So tell me about your your third, right? Third out of four. I'm third out of four. Are you uh, are you a middle baby? Like does that does that ring true for you? Yes. In, I'm in also it's boy, girl, girl, girl in my family. So I'm third. And there's a my brother and sister and I are born one each each year. So we're a year each a year apart. And then my sister's five years younger. Once again, you and I have a very specific uh, sliver of of experience to offer in this way, like two Irish Catholic families with really closely spaced siblings. Yes. We're going to do a so deep wait, dive Are into you that. number one? I'm number one of six. You're a total first child, don't you think? I mean, I'm I feel like you're textbook. Let me read you one thing I read last night I was, as I was reading Dr. Kevin Lehman's birth order book. Uh, given to me by a fellow firstborn saying I like that you read a book. I totally Googled birth order fun facts, but I like that you read a book. That <laughs> so kind the, of, that's a birth order marker right there. First so this, child versus third so, child. So the, I need to preface this by saying this was given to me by my friend Sean Conroy, who has another great podcast called The Long Shot Podcast that I totally recommend. I've known him for years. He's the oldest of five, and he gave me this book probably 15 years ago and said, you know, read this. It explains everything. 
So I, I, you know, dusted it off and looked at it to prepare for this uh, podcast. And sure enough, it says that firstborns are voracious accumulators of knowledge and facts. You're guilty. (laughs) And I thought, it's true. It's really true. I I mean, I am definitely a firstborn. And, and, but then my family has a particularly strange, we have, we have a caboose that came years later that actually changed the birth order in our family. So I had, I had a brother who was sandwiched between two older siblings and two younger siblings that were both very closely spaced, each very closely spaced. So my brother Kevin was a classic middle child. And then all of a sudden, my brother Michael came along. He was the caboose. I was already not even living at home anymore. That's how that's how widely spread we were. I was 19 years old when he was born. And, and my baby brother Michael completely changed, flipped the birth order around so that my brother Kevin became the oldest of the new second family, if you see what I'm saying. Yes. And my and my baby sister became crashingly, suddenly a middle child. And uh, I totally saw it play out in real time because I was in college by then. So I saw I saw it affect my siblings. And I mean, not like it was horrible or anything, but I saw I saw it happen. But back to you. So tell us that you you also have two older siblings who were very closely spaced. One boy, one girl. We're three and three years I'm the youngest of that threesome. And then five years later, another sister. So I'm the middle of the sisters. I'm the youngest of the first three. But then I became a middle child, kind of like what you're saying that happened with your brother. So it was a shocking change for me. (laughs) And are you, as a result, as a result, as a result, are you fairness obsessed? That's interesting. So that whatever happened worked out great because I turned out great. Yeah. So, so do do what your parents did. Exactly what my parents did with me. (laughs) No problems at all. Uh, I am. I think I'm classic uh, youngest child. In that youngest child, right? Typically. So let's go through some of the categories. Okay. Just a few of the potential characteristics. Oldest child is intellectual. Tends to have a higher IQ. Although right, like two points, though. one or two like, points, yeah. yeah, not not by much, but still, uh, gets lots of attention. Identifies with be, the parent, their parent, their parental surrogates, right? And so they and grow up to be very authority identifying. Correct. But there's also out of some, the first twenty three astronauts sent into space, twenty one were firstborn children. That was the one I was going to cite. Yeah. So first kids are very driven. They're they're authority identifying. They are perfectionists and they're um, anxious. They're more likely to be anxious than younger children. Correct. And which and I'm going to say, yes, touche. It's all true. Right. You're, you're dead to rights. Yes. Uh, youngest children tend to be more creative. Freer spirits, they got less attention. And so they, le- they are less likely to seek uh, parental approval. I and think they're more, op- child- yeah, they're more optimistic. They're more like, it'll probably work out. I mean, I see this in, in my youngest sibling and my husband's youngest sibling. Like, I could worry about it or things will probably work out pretty well anyway. So I'm not going to, um, you know, worry this thing into existence. I think that's a good way to be. Yeah. And they, you just see how it plays out in terms of like they, their parents weren't hovering over them as much. And so they don't have as much of a desire to be constantly fulfilling expectations. And they can't as the first, use... As the Amy Wilson child. I, I, my research indicated in an interesting thing I hadn't considered, which they can't use physical dominance like oldest siblings can. 
Um, and so they have to ha- use other means of getting attention and, and getting their way. So they become well, smooth, smooth talkers. I see in my own children, and it makes me laugh. And like, it's so the thing of, you know, when you read, I have young boys, and we're constantly reading books about animals and dangerous animals and dinosaurs, and how each of them has their own defense mechanisms. And, you know, this one has a spiny tail. This one has a plate in its forehead, so it can ram into stuff. And it's just really interesting, like, the biodiversity and how it all turns out. And then I look at my three kids, and, like, my oldest is the biggest and the strongest and kind of the most domineering by by virtue of being the oldest. My next guy is kind of wily and charming and can kind of get his way in his own like devious ways. Yep. And then my daughter has this high-pitched scream that (laughs) renders her brothers completely powerless. Like it's totally her like head plate that she can bang into things with. Like they are just, they've adapted to their own roles and they've each figured out their own ways to get stuff done. That's fascinating and And like when little sister pulls out the scream of doom like it's her trump card like no one can fight that high-pitched scream my brother who is the youngest of this large family he came up with this coping mechanism as the youngest that i now see in my sister's youngest so she has three boys and a fourth on the way so she's you know another uh irish catholic (laughs) sampling of very closely spaced brood be fruitful and multiply exactly she's taken that to heart well anyway so so my nephew now and i see and i saw it as a youngest of three and I thought oh my god my my youngest brother was just like that he'll sit at the table and he'll say mom can I have some juice mom can I have some juice mom can I have some juice and he'll just say it he won't get angry and he won't get louder but he'll just say it 18 times in a row until somebody acknowledges him and both of them came up with that same coping mechanism that I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to get angry but I'm going to have to say it over and over before somebody acknowledges me and and they they both figured out that same that same way. And so I think that will help them as adults to be more persistent, certainly, and patient. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing. I mean, all of these are useful skills, but they're just different kinds of skills. Going all the way back to the beginning, this was the birth order thing first became an object of study in 1874. Charles Darwin's cousin was the member of something called the Royal Society, you know, for smart white men in London. Right, And he noticed that almost everybody in the society, he started taking a little informal poll, were eldest sons. Of course, women weren't invited. So so they were all first children. And he brought this up to right. his cousin. Right. And also at that time, being the eldest son of a family conferred a whole societal element that can't be discounted there too. Primogeniture and all that. There's- yeah, I mean, you were you were inheriting the land. You were going to be the king. You know, I mean, there was lots to being the firstborn son. There, there's a, a doctor named Frank Sullaway who's been studying birth order his whole life, and he points out that in, in every society that has ever been surveyed by an anthropologist, there's something about the oldest child that they get set apart, that they get special um, things, special things accrue to them, but also special special challenges. And of course, if uh, in the Old what Testament, they were the ones that got say? killed. Of whom much is given, much is expected yes. for his children. So it's good and not good. But they, Not my problem. Dr. Soloway makes this interesting point that it really, the birth order thing really is survival at the fittest at its most base level. You know, back to, uh, before 1800, half of all kids born didn't make it to adulthood. Right. Half. And so, you know, clamoring for attention and survival among your siblings was was it was literal survival. 
So now we're all, we've got more cushy lives than that. But the kids are, they're, they're fighting for our attention and our love in ways that they're not even necessarily aware of, I think. Well, I remember my mom saying to me at some point in high school when I was wolfing something down at the dinner table, and she sort of laughingly was like, you eat like someone's going to take the food away from you. And I'm like, hello, I'm the third (laughs) child in three years. Like, that's exactly how I eat, right? Like, yes, we had enough food. I wasn't literally fighting for food, but my experience of the dinner table was always being the littlest person there. And and my sensation that clearly got hardwired in was like, if I don't eat really fast, someone else is going to get all the food. Even though it's kind of ridiculous at our like lovely Patricia dinner table where it wasn't exactly like wolves fighting over scraps, but there is that stuff is can be very very subtle, but it does sort of creep in. Um so for you're a middle child, right? Yes. Kind, like kind of I was youngest for 5 years and then oh. I got bumped into the middle. Yeah, see. Okay, so I think the experts would say that makes you a youngest that, that I think I'm youngest. Cuz yeah. of course cuz how unlike me, I did a deep dive on this. Looking up like, okay, but what if you're adopted and what if you're this? And it's sort of the the birth order situation that you were born into. That shapes your personality, right? Before we go any further, I think we should just talk really briefly about, for people who don't know anything about and haven't dealt with this birth order stuff at all, big picture is first child is intense, intellectual, rule follower, respecter of authority, uh, possibly prefers the company of adults, and is sort of mature and sober. I I find you as a younger child to be perhaps um, reaching for the positive adjectives to describe the the oldest child. (laughs) (laughs) Trying. Trying. So hard. Also annoying, uptight, and kind of a helium hand in class. <laughs> That's the first child. Then the middle child is kind of interesting because the middle child tends to be the peacemaker, very loyal, values um, commitment. They can go along to get along. They can seek compromises. But I think they're also obsessed with fairness. I read that and that yes. really registered for and me. And that, I mean, that to me, that's when I think about middle, middle, middle children, that obsessed with fairness thing is, it, it's fascinating. Like that, that, I can't, I almost can't think of an exception. And sometimes it's so clear that it kind of knocks your socks off how much that's true. Well, I've talked on this podcast about my child who's a sort of love measurer and present yes, counter. That's and that's my child. middle. Yeah, of course. Uh, then the youngest child tends to be uh, less rule-oriented, more artistic. Yes. Uh, Great communicator, I think, right? Smooth, we said before, smooth talker because they can't punch their way to get what they want. Right. Uh, so um, they can sweet talk or scream. kind of or... <laughs> Diplomatic to the point of being maybe a little shady. They're uh, they're flexible. They're flexible in their thinking. The youngest is. I just read this and and it hit me like a bolt. Exactly. The youngest is going to be your most reluctant reader because they are playing mm. up the role of being the baby in the family, and they're being read to. And the parent, because this is your last, right? I think of my third grader as being young and so deserving of my time reading Harry Potter to her whereas her th- her brother her oldest brother when he was in third grade he had a four-year-old sister that I was reading to and he was reading to himself by then do you see what I'm saying and so that yeah. 
that really made sense to me that the, the youngest kids sort of get all the benefits of being the last one. And so they can get sort of the short end sometimes of the household chores. They don't have to do as much. They're, I do find myself thinking that my daughter can't possibly drag a suitcase through the airport or things like that, that I, by the time her, when her brother was nine, it was like, get your brother, put him on your hip and and pull two suitcases and let's go. I had no patience for, for the oldest at nine year old, not being able to be 100% helpful all the time. I read something fascinating that, that without, without getting into our current political climate, I will point out that later borns in a times of intense radical political or social change are more likely to change their minds. So Dr. Mm-hmm. Soloway did this research on people like Galileo, Galilei, or Copernicus, or like things that were really changing the way people think. The people who are likely to accept those points of view, well, first of all, put them forward, and then be accepting of them, were later borns. And the you know high priests and the people who were throwing people in jail were firstborns. So that later well, borns are more likely to change how they think. And is it birth order or some of that? And they talk about um, this, that like parents impose some of these stereotypes within the family themselves because you tend to say like, okay, firstborn, you're in charge if I have to go out for five minutes or you be the leader or you make sure everyone gets their coats on. And so you, within the family, you constantly identify, one constantly identifies their oldest child as the leader. And so- in that I think way, that's a good point. they start taking, it's like Sheryl Sandberg's whole rap about don't call girls bossy, tell them they have leadership skills. Like my daughter in our family tends to fall into the role of help your sister, tell her what to do, show her what to do because of her birth order, because her oldest brother is often charged with just because I need the extra set of hands, helping her get her seatbelt on or whatever it happens to be. I think that's a really good point. I think I think this is a good point to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about how not to lean into those assumptions of the roles that your kids should play and how to be the best parent to each kind of kid in your family. Sounds good. All right. We're going to take our first break and share this little comedy piece with you. And we'll be right back. What birth order might mean in your family. Oldest child. We had a suit for First Communion tailor-made by a guy in the city. Middle child. They were having a sale on suits, and this one fit him perfectly off the rack. Youngest child. Listen, we're not getting a new suit. Just suck in your gut a little bit. Your First Communion only lasts an hour. Oldest child. I mean, he's only turning one, so I figured, keep it simple. Two open bars, pasta station, then the dance floor opens at six. Middle child. We have definitely got a one candle in the junk drawer somewhere. I will keep looking. Youngest child. Oh my God. Was yesterday the 19th? Oldest child. Oh, sweetie, that sounds beautiful. I love listening to you play. Middle child. Sweetie, that's nice, but could you keep it down? Mommy's on a timed level of Candy Crush. Youngest child. Listen, I'm sorry, kid. We bailed on getting you piano lessons. Play some music on this iPod. That's what technology's for.
Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, we're back and we're talking about, so now we know what birth order is, right? We've gone we, through it. Right, we know what birth order is. I think we've come to an agreement that, Thanks yeah, to Amy, it's a thing. we know what year 
Charles Darwin's cousin discovered birth order. I'm a voracious accumulator of knowledge and you facts. And I'm not board. going, I'm going to wear that like a badge. I'm an oldest child. So, so, so yeah, now, so it's, it's a thing. It's real. We see it in our kids. We have to be very wary to not lean into it in our parenting and unwittingly sort of solidify those roles, right? We have to sort of try to do what we can to play against it. Lest we grow up with an oldest child who who is unable to um, <laughs> to compromise ever in anything, and a youngest child who will never leave our basement. Oh, yes, let's not have that. <laughs> and definitely, I think the problem with any identity that you offer or accidentally or purposefully foist upon your children is that we've talked about this a lot with different things, such as the picky eater episode where we talked about not defining kids as picky eaters like oh you wouldn't want that you're a picky eater right and no, i'm not letting other family members do that right well i know he's not going to have any yourself mm-hmm. or letting other family mm-hmm. members do it and that as you start to in that way sort of accidentally and perniciously start to tell kids a story about themselves it can be problematic because then it offers the kid the opportunity to either just sort of give in and be that identity or to kind of rebel against that identity in ways that may not be all that helpful. Mm -hmm. For Mm -hmm. example, like if the older sibling is super accomplished, type A, perfect student, student council president, the second child may find that they are like, oh, that identity is already taken. So my identity by default must be family screw up. I think that's that's a thing. They call that de-identification. And and it and it is. It's that the the next sibling, the middle child will zig where the older one zags. I mean we all know that to be true, but right, right. it's actually there's actually a psychological term for it that they just want to define themselves as not the same as the older sibling, whatever that that's is. That's right. That you just that people have and kids have um a default which is to define themselves in opposition. And so when the birth order definition or whatever definition it is that you're giving to your kids, you have to just know what that story is because it starts to inform a lot of things that happen. And I definitely had that. My brother and my sister, and we were three in three years, we were like Irish triplets basically. They were both super accomplished students and incredibly intelligent and like sailed through school and did everything correctly. And I was a pretty decent student and I was pretty smart, but I wasn't, whether or not I was or I wasn't as intelligent as them or as good in school as them, I quickly started defining myself as not that. The smart Martin girl that that was already taken. That part was already already taken. The smart Martin girl was already taken. Exactly. And so I don't know how conscious it was. And looking back, it's really hard for me to parse like how much I was doing a thing and how much it was just what was happening. But I felt a lot of conflict around being the like not smart kid in my family. And Even though you were perfectly intelligent, right. But you, you, you felt like that part was taken and you had to de-identify Yeah, and I that. kind of like laugh now with my mom looking back on it that I was like the great black sheep of the family. I'm like... Parents would pay to have a black sheep like right. me, you know? I mean, come on. Like, I was not, you know, running around smoking cigarettes under the and knifing kids in the bathrooms. I was, like, getting 91 instead of 99 on my tests. Right. 
But that was enough to make me sort of like the other. Right. Well, I, I've tried to lean into that in my own in my own parenting because my, my boys are 19 months apart, so very close. And so from the very beginning, I have had them sort of develop separate spheres of influence. They don't play the same sports. They don't play the same instruments. They do different extracurricular activities. Uh, they don't even take the same foreign language at school. I've I've tried in as many ways as possible to have them not be able to compete by just doing just doing different things from the outset. And I think it's worked pretty well in that I think that they because they're because they are now interested in different things because they would have been anyway. There's not this competition of well, I'm a pretty good basketball player, but I'm not as good as my older brother. Which hello, I mean that, that's what I saw in my son. He was always furious that he couldn't run as fast, throw as far as his year and a half older brother. Which of course he couldn't. He was shorter. He was lighter. He wasn't right. You're four. You're not six. You're not supposed to be able to run as fast as somebody who's six. But for my middle child, it was a constant stress in his life that he couldn't do everything as well as his brother as if that were an expectation so I've tried very hard to find him things to be great at that his brother has nothing to do with yeah and I mean I think that's a that's a noble undertaking and a valid um thing to try but I think also that some of this stuff is the way of the world like the reason birth order is identifiable and happens is because some of these things are the way of the world. Like you're, if you live with someone older and stronger than you in the house, you are going to have a certain feeling of not being strong. And that kids and humans are very adaptable and that's a good thing. And so part, you can't fight having birth order in the house. Like we, I have my sister's uh, kids staying with me right now because she's on a trip. And I find myself constantly saying to the two older boys who are like, I'm better at the piano than Peggy, who's five. I'm <laughs> right. like, no doubt. Right, you're, you're eight and a half and she's five. Why are we even having this conversation? Mm -hmm. But that conversation is being repeated on like the schoolyard and everywhere. Like I cannot stop the conversation that is that Peggy is going to go through a lot of her life being the least good at something in our family. And I'm willing to kind of just accept that at a certain point. I think it also really toughens her up. Like Peggy is very, um, my, my five-year-old is very, um, she's kind of very adorable, like blonde curls and big eyes and cute squeaky voice. And one thing that I would worry about as an only child, is she gets a tremendous amount of attention for being cute uh -huh. and adorable. And like people kind of fawn all over her and like, oh, you're so pretty, you're so cute. Oh, look at you. And... One thing I like about her growing up in our family is that her brothers don't care about that at all. No. That's, that doesn't work at all. So she, she can't lean on the I'm adorable skill set to get through her day, which I'm very grateful for because that's a very annoying skill set to be your go-to <laughs> as an adult. Like really no one wants to deal with the person who's like, you could just do it for me because I'm adorable. Yeah. Like, that that's a good way to just yeah put everyone on earth you're right despise you, um, and and one thing I like it's is that in our house she gets no mileage out of being adorable, and so she's got to work on other skill sets, which is that's that's the good thing. That is that's that's well and said. everything is a double edged sword in that way. I mean the birth order stuff. 
I think you're right. You have identified the thing of like, okay, try to find them their own spheres. Try to find them their own places to shine. Don't lean into the thing of like, yeah, your brother's bigger and stronger. Like find ways around that story, but then try to figure out how the story works for you too, you know? But let's, all right, so let's talk about, let's talk about sort of each person in the family, right? Each role in the family and things you kind of have to watch out for. So, so sure. since we're talking about the youngest, so let's, let's, let's start with them. The, the thing about the youngest, I think you have to be careful, or I'll, I'll speak for me, that I have to be careful of, is to not baby the youngest and to remember that a nine-year-old can cut her own steak, right? I, I find myself doing things for my youngest that I didn't do for her oldest brother at that age because she is my youngest. Yeah, and I think also um, not overprotecting the youngest is like, oh, she's just the baby. And right, creating that role for them within the family of like, oh, they have this special protective status because they're the youngest uh, can be cause a lot of conflict. Yeah, yeah, right, a lot so of So I try not to throw my five-year-old to the wolves of her brothers, but I also try not to spend a lot of time being like, leave her alone, she's the baby, she's little. There's another thing about lastborns, I mean, because I think we're making it sound like they're, that they kind of get the, uh, other than the sibling uh, heaps of scorn, they kind of get the best of everything from the parents, but on the other, on the flip side, you can argue that their milestones don't get the same attention as certainly the firstborns, like your your last kid learning to ride a bike, or first communion, or what, I don't know, whatever, or, or writing in cursive, or getting 100 on a spelling test should be as big a deal as when the oldest kid did it. Yeah, but it never will be. Right. So, sorry, last kid. Yeah, I mean, but you can, but you can lean into that. the baby book, right? I mean, my, my son's baby book is like filled out in cursive, in like beautiful black calligraphy ink, every single page filled with pictures. And my daughter's has her name on the cover. Like, yeah. sorry, third kid. Like, th- that's where I feel like, and this is where I think sometimes we differ, but I just tend to be a real realist about that stuff. Like, there are pros and cons to everything in life. And the pro to being the youngest is that you get attention and babied and yay. But the con is that I forgot to fill out your baby book. And I can try, but I don't know that I can completely overcome those things. You can do it and in yes, little ways. I ran behind the oldest bike for 500 miles and I'm going to just help hope that you figure it out yourself some Saturday. I mean, I'm all for fighting against these roles, but I'm not here to say to people like, Oh, you're going to be able to completely flip this stuff. There's a reason why the kid's baby book, why the oldest is filled out perfectly and the third one is blank. No, I, I think you're right. You can't, you can't counteract the, the weight of these roles in the family, nor do you need to. These aren't such horrible things. They make us who... The, the birth order book is subtitled Why You Are the Way You Are. <laughs> right, <laughs> so. exactly. I mean, and, and you can try... Like, I definitely sneak... I have on my endless to-do list, like, fill out Peggy's baby book. Like, at some point, I'm going to try to go back and, like, fill it in so that when she's old enough to look at it, she won't cry, but... Good luck remembering you, anything, right? I mean, the, for the last time. Oh, yeah, I'll child. just make it up. Now. I mean, it's fine. I'll totally lie. I'll be like, oh, yeah, that tooth came in that day. I mean, who cares? She's not going to check me. Yeah, so you can combat this stuff to a degree. Right. But there is, but everybody, everybody gets, it's a double-edged sword for everybody. All right, so That's that middle way. child. Let's let's move on to the middle child since I'm thinking of that. I, I, I read this tip for parenting a middle child better and it was like, oh, boy. Make sure that you have pictures around the house that are of your middle child without the older child also being in the photo. 
And this is totally true for us. Like we did a bajillion baby photos of the oldest, right? And then once the second one came along, we did cute photo shoots of the two brothers together in matching outfits holding hands. And we leaned a little heavy on those and a little light on. But the second kid was also his own person, not just a junior version of the first person. Yeah. And I mean, it really is difficult. Like David and I have definitely had periods of our parenting where we've gotten into bed at night and I'm like the note for tomorrow we almost have to hang a note that's like pay attention to Harry because he's easy and quiet like he doesn't demand as much attention but then I can see sometimes I mean he's classic middle child he's like a little star for attention and so it's something that we actually make a note of sometimes like tomorrow let's give it give Harry his day like just how is you know really pay extra attention to him because it is hard there's a little thing you can do to help with that with middle kids, which is to give them the power of small decisions. What should we have for dinner tonight? Or, yeah. you know, what do you, or do the menu for the week or whatever. Give them, give them the power of that or give them little special treats. Like on Wednesday at 7, the new, I don't know, Paw Patrol is coming on and Harry gets the couch all to himself and he's going to, and he's going to watch on the big TV and he's going to get that. That's his special time and nobody can come in or whatever. It could be a little thing that's just a little side note to this entire thing that like this whole conversation brings out in me my like repressed Irish heritage where I'm like I can hear my grandmother be like why are you even having this conversation Mm -hmm. like you're feeding these kids and you're putting a roof over their Mm -hmm. head like the minutia of how whether or not you have enough pictures of them not holding hand with the siblings like this whole conversation would make my grandmother's head explode. Well, again, because your 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 grandmother probably had at least one sibling who didn't make it to adulthood. I know mine did. She was one of thirteen, and she had three. Yeah. So, yeah. My my grandmother, if she were listening right now, she would say tweet tweet, and that was her that was her sort of embodiment of exactly that. Like on Christmas morning, she'd look at the toys that Santa brought for all of us and say tweet tweet, because she'd get. An orange and a kind look, right? And that Wait, was, what does tweet tweet mean? Like this it is just all... was like the ex the excess of this moment mm-hmm. is more tweet tweet. It was it was <laughs> tweet tweet when expression. there were three kinds of pie, you know, when there were too many Christmas presents, right? Just this is this is all just so far beyond anything that I could ever imagine, and in a not good way. Yeah, right? and so I do. I, I mean, all I mean to say by that is like this is an interesting thing to think about and certainly there are things about it you can counter but like it it quickly teeters over into like this navel gazing type of parenting that's like oh my god I must protect my child from the order of their birth and that I find is kind of useless and not super necessary well I think it's QED that we can't protect our children from every bit of disappointment in their lives right we, we've already we've already established that quod erat demonstrandum QED means oh. we've already established that, so we're not going to. Yes, we won't. We won't yes. relitigate that. Exactly. QED. That very first child expression. QED. By the way, we're not supposed to protect them from every little thing. You're right, and they're and they're and 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 like I said, the birth order thing. It's not like these are horrible, um, scarring things. But right, you know, right. you can you can you can make sure to ask your middle child. Make sure they get to pick. Pick the thing Every once in a while. while let them, once in a while, let them pick, have pick a what the TV show is going to be. Pick what's pick what's for dinner. And because my uh, a thing about middle kids that I definitely see is true, uh, they particularly hate when decisions are made for them. Mm-hmm. When my when my son is mad at me about anything, his his sort of top ten greatest hit is that I always 
sign him up for stuff and then tell him about it. Mm. And this is true whether I have he he will choose to forget, but he'll you didn't ask me to, if I wanted to do chorus. You just signed me up. And that and that I've learned to be very careful about that and not do that, but he still gets mad at me for doing it even if That's I did talk like, to him. That's like love it. measure like unbelievable sense of justice that the mm-hmm. little child tends to have. Mhm. And I think that's something that, yeah, it can be a good quality again, but it can be very like something that becomes obsessive and becomes kind of definitive. Yes. Right. So I think that's worth, that's worth pressing against by just making sure they feel like they're making their own decisions. Kind of. And then with the youngest, I think it's important to not baby them, but also to help them find tools to deal with the fact that they're the smallest in the family. Right. Because I I do know some youngest children who, you know, have felt very bullied in the family, have felt very like the runt of the litter who never gets their way. And it's another thing to sort of help them fight back against. Right. But in, in, in in their own way, to do it themselves, right? To do it without necessarily getting your attention so you intervene. So right, I'm, I'm and so that you're that. not always, your role is not always championing the littlest against the bigger ones. Right. So and it's like, oh, they, they always have mom on their side. And find ways to emphasize their, their growing independence and the things that they're achieving rather than how cute and adorable they are. Otherwise, basement dweller forever. <laughs> Which forever. is not going to go well for you. Okay, so the oldest kid. We haven't talked about the oldest kid yet, and, and I, I know this to be true. I read this and said, yes, it's true. Firstborn parents can be particularly hard on firstborn children. Um, and so I, and, and my husband and I are both firstborn parents. Um, so, you know, we definitely... Do you know the happiest marriages are between last-born siblings? Oh gosh! Well, my youngest brother is is a last born married to a last born, and yeah, they, like their lives are like chaotic and 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 happy. My uh, my research told me last borns or only children who marry other last borns make the best match. Well, too late for me. Wait, wait what's the what's next your... most successful pairing? Are middle children and last borns? Okay. What are you? What's I'm, what's your marriage? I'm oldest married to youngest middle. And how's that go? So my husband's a firstborn. Okay. And is that is that pretty good? Is that? I mean, it's going fine so far. I don't think our problem is birth order. When the problems come, I don't think it has to do with we, birth order. We're too old, doesn't? Is that a bad idea? Yeah, I think it is. <coughs> I think you're doomed. We're also a Virgo Gemini, which you, which if you you know choose to look into that, is like, oh my god, what have you done? My that's husband and I are thing. Virgo Virgo. <gasps> I think that's probably pretty good. Because only know. another Virgo can. I didn't know you were also a Virgo. Um, yeah, but I'm I don't I, it's the, I'm a Virgo, which is why I don't believe in horoscopes. Because you're a Virgo too, right? Yes. And my sister's a Virgo. We have nothing in common. Yeah, no, I'm that's a, why I don't believe in it. I'm a Virgo cubed. You're like a Virgo. That you're like I'm the it. I'm poster the picture child. of me. Yes, exactly. How can we both be Virgos? It's crazy. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Um, anyway, that's a topic for a different day. Horoscopes. A different day, but the oldest. All right, so here's here's something you should. So I try to be uh to constantly let my oldest child know that while I'm proud of his 98 I would also be proud of a you know 81 if it really represented his his best effort his best effort yeah um I really try to do that um I and but in little ways I thought this was a good sort of parenting tip 
that I, you shouldn't try to improve upon anything an oldest child does. Like my, my oldest child now, we're starting, thanks to this podcast, we've really ramped up our expectations of what the kids do around the house. And so dinner yes. cleanup is an all-family affair. You know, every, dinner prep and dinner cleanup is an, is an everybody affair. And he's really good at it, but I will definitely, he's really good at it, and then he's very willing to do what needs to be done. Um, but I definitely, like, repack the dishwasher to make it more, to make it fit more stuff. Um, to make it better, Amy. To make I mean, it just a little it, bit. better better you're totally um, my mother i still go and put the dishes away when i'm staying with my mom and she comes behind me and repacks the dishwasher <laughs> it's very it's very comforting i'm like some things never change so that's that's something for me to look within and maybe and maybe uh resist the urge to perfect the things that my oldest child does because i definitely see him do that to his younger brother less so now that they're older but when they were little five and three he'd say like oh that's a you just drew a pretty good snowman shay it will be even better if you did it this way, right? Right, There's, right. right. The, the leader, that's how, right? That's how oldest people are. So oldest kids. So, but be careful not to oldest do that to your oldest kid who is already hard enough on himself. So, to sum up what we've learned about birth order, birth order is a thing. It's a thing. We find the QED. birth roles fairly <laughs> recognizable. QED, as oldest Amy likes to say, um, but. We can fight against reinforcing the stereotypes of birth order. We can check who we allow to be the leader in the house and see if there are ways to help define our younger or middles as the leader in certain situations. Um, We can check ourselves very carefully when we find ourselves voicing what the roles in the family are out loud. You take it, you're the most responsible you, oh, you're always leaving your stuff. You're not responsible. Oh, you're always forgetful. Like when we find ourselves giving voice to roles for our children, we should check ourselves and try not to do that. I agree. And so for, and for the youngest, help them find ways to assert themselves that don't involve getting you involved. And one thing that you said that I thought was really good is help the middle and youngers find their own spheres. Yes, Find ways to participate in things that are different than what their um, their siblings are doing. Because they're going to want to de-identify anyway. So that's that's fine. That's the way of the world. So help them do it. I mean, Perfect. I didn't I didn't necessarily force my kids to pick different different things, but I certainly encouraged it. And then and you, I should ahead. probably go fill out my third kid's baby book so that she doesn't have to go to therapy and talk about how I never loved her. And I would I would add one more thing. Be aware of your own birth order and how it may shape your parenting somewhat, which is probably only a problem if you're a firstborn like me. Good. Well, we want to know what's going on with birth order at your house. Uh, are you seeing these same kind of things play out? Is your oldest a leader? Is your middle fair-minded? And is your youngest a free-willing artist type? Uh, Come join the conversation on Facebook. We are at facebook.com forward slash whatfreshhellcast. We're also on Twitter at Hellfresh. And you can visit us on our website, whatfreshhellpodcast.com. We're going to put links to some of the research and books that we mentioned today on there. And you can always leave us a comment there. We love to hear what you're interested in, what you want to hear more about. Yeah. So come and please weigh in on any of those uh, platforms and Also, tell us what you'd like to hear us talking about on the show. We've had a lot of interesting topics so far, but we'd love to know what you would like to hear more about. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly. 
your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.